were it not for grace, were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be. Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. And I know how that would go. The battles I would face. Forever running but losing the race were it not for grace. My life story could very, uh, very appropriately be titled, Were It Not For Grace. The words of this song remind me of the incredible grace that the Lord has shown me throughout my life. This testimony that I'm going to share with you today uh, is not really about me. It's about God. It's about the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ and his awesome gift of salvation. I don't know why he chose me or why he loves me the way he does, but I'm eternally grateful that he includes me in his great plan. He has shown his faithfulness in every chapter of my life, and to God be alone be the glory. So settle back and listen as I read you a story of a life changed, restored by God's redemptive power and amazing grace. Chapter 1, Living Among the Wheat in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm the youngest in a family of five children, with parents who were married to each other for 48 years. The family size was just right with four children. Mike, who was 13 at that time, Dave, who was 11, Kathy, 9, and my brother Kevin, who was 7 at that time. But then, surprise, surprise, (laughs) Barbara Susan Wheat made her appearance onto the family scene. I was named after my Aunt Barbara, but my family always called me by my middle name, Susan. I was born in Henderson, Nevada, which is a suburb of Las Vegas. My family had lived in Superior, Montana, before moving to Henderson for my dad's job. My dad was born in Ekalaka. Where are you? Yeah. <laughs> in Ekalaka, Montana, before moving to uh, uh, and raised primarily in the state of Montana. My mom was born in New York City to Austrian immigrants, put into an orphanage when she was just an infant, and then rode on the orphan train when she was two and a half years old to Missouri, where she was adopted by a wonderful, godly couple. Her life story is truly an amazing story, and I would be happy to share it with any of you if you would be interested. My parents met in Spokane, Washington, where they were both living at the time. After they married, they moved to Superior. Times were hard there, and so when my dad was told of an employment opportunity in Henderson, off they went with their four kids in tow. Fast forward five years or so when I joined the Wheat family unit. I lived a fairly uneventful life as a a young child. We occasionally attended a Baptist church when my mom would take us, but my dad really didn't have much interest in the things of the Lord. Living in Las Vegas area, I was constantly aware of the gambling and the high life that was associated with the casinos on the Strip. But the most impressionable aspect of the Vegas life for me were the beautiful showgirls that danced in the casino on the Strip. 
Their pictures would be in the newspapers, on billboards, and on television, and I was so in awe of them. And I desperately wanted to be a showgirl when I grew up. To me, this was the pinnacle of beauty and glamour, and that was the goal in this little girl's heart. Chapter 2, My Home's in Montana. When I was 10, my parents and I moved back to Montana. We went from a city to a community that was not much more than a wide spot in the road, and I loved it. From then on, I considered myself a Montana girl. I'm so grateful to the Lord for moving us out of that worldly pagan environment of Las Vegas to the simple country life in Cardwell, Montana. It was there that I became friends with the Shaw family, who lived on a farm about a mile from where we lived. Blake's sister, Kelly, was my best buddy, and I spent a good deal of time with the Shaws. Their family was different than any other family that I knew. They went to church, they prayed before meals, they had family times of Bible study and devotion. Their house was nothing grand, but our seal Shaw had the wonderful gift of hospitality, and uh, she always made me feel special and welcome among the constant stream of visitors in their home. Kelly invited me to attend Cardwell Community Church with her family when I was 12, and Doug and Arceel Shaw made arrangements for an older couple, uh, Mark and Blanche Steppen, to pick me up for church on Sundays. Mark and Blanche were a loving, godly couple who were so gracious and generous to this geeky 12-year-old girl that had moved into their community. It was at Cardwell Church that I felt drawn to the Lord and the things of the Lord. I really enjoyed going to that church, and I felt at home whenever I was there. Looking back, I marvel at the grace of God that allowed me to attend attend church in Cardwell because my dad didn't want to attend, and he really didn't want my mom to attend either. But yet, I was able to go to church whenever I wanted, and I felt compelled to be with my Christian friends and to learn more about the Lord. So it was at the church in Cardwell that I first asked Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior. I say first because I asked him into my heart many times, just in case it didn't take the first time. Do you know what I mean? Um, You see, I I wasn't able to, to comprehend the concept of Jesus loving me unconditionally. I often felt that my efforts were never good enough and that I had to perform in order to um, earn my, my earthly dad's love and approval. In my mind, I thought that God would love me only if I did everything right and was a good girl. I simply couldn't grasp the message of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I continued going to church and youth group until the middle of my sophomore year in high school. Then I simply got too busy to fit it into my life anymore. I was still a good girl. I didn't drink or do drugs. I wasn't boy crazy. I didn't cause my parents any grief. And I still wanted to be considered a Christian, but I became complacent about growing in my relationship with the Lord. I immersed myself in sports and music 
and I was a good student. I excelled at these things, and I did have fun, but I still operated under the impression that I had to work to gain and maintain the love and approval of my family and others. Then in my senior year of high school, I began dating Jeff Jackson. His story was similar to mine in that he had come to know the Lord when he was 11 or 12, but had fallen away. We dated through our senior year, and after graduation, he went into the Army, and I came down to Bozeman to attend MSU. We had a long-distance relationship for two years and then married on June 20th, 1981. By the way, the Shahs never could get rid of me because I married into the family. Jeff and Blake are first cousins. Chapter 3, Ah, Life in Europe. Right after we were married, Jeff was stationed in Germany, and we spent the first three years of our marriage there. We absolutely loved living and traveling in Europe. It truly was like an extended honeymoon for us, and it was the best environment for our marriage to grow, too. You see, I, I was a mama's girl, and I was so homesick when I first got there. But whenever Jeff and I had a conflict, I couldn't call home. It was way too expensive in those days. And I couldn't run home to mom. You know, we had to work it out on our own. I was very self-centered and still living life on my terms at this point. Um, but it was while living in Germany that, again, I felt the Lord drawing me back to himself. I was very conflicted at that point in that Jeff and I were going to church on the army base on Sundays and then, and then living the rest of the week as if God had no place in our lives. Finally, we couldn't bear this hypocrisy any longer, and we decided that we had to get off the fence one way or the other. Chapter 4, my home's in Montana again. Shortly after we came to the decision to live our lives for Christ, we returned to the States and settled in Bozeman to, um, for both of us to continue uh, attending MSU. Jeff was no longer active duty Army, but he joined the Army Reserves and was a part of a local military unit, a military police unit. We went to a church in Belgrade for a while, but started attending Grace Bible Church here after Blake came on staff. This has been our church home ever since, and we've been so blessed to be a part of a body that stands firmly on the Word of God. Chapter 5. And baby makes three. No, make that four. Jeff and I graduated from college at MSU. He with a degree in business finance and I with an English education degree. I substitute taught for a year, waiting for a teaching position to open up. But I became pregnant about the same time that two positions became available. So my pending role as mother took precedence over teaching. When I was three months along, I had a miscarriage. I was, we both were just brokenhearted. But when I went to the doctor for a follow-up appointment, there was a strong heartbeat. We assumed I was carrying twins and had lost one. Talk about roller coaster emotions, first mourning the loss of our baby, and then such joy when there was another little life there. 
Then when I was about five months, five and a half months along, we had an ultrasound and discovered that there was not one, but two babies. The twins' heartbeats were in sync the entire pregnancy, which is really very odd, but we didn't know that we were having twins until that ultrasound showed it. And the, the lab tech must have assumed that we thought it was twins because I went in there and, and she said, okay, here's baby A and here's baby B. And I just started bawling. <laughs> we were so happy, but, you know, I mean, it was a little bit of a shock. So, also, this means that I'd been carrying triplets before I lost the one baby. Um, that would have changed things a bit. <laughs> Jeff and I were overjoyed to be the parents of Daniel and Sarah, who were born a month early on March 20th, 1989. So, this upcoming week is their 30th birthday. This is the first day of spring. Chapter 6, Jeff's Middle Eastern vacation, and baby makes five. In the fall of 1990, Jeff was still in the reserves, and his unit was called into active duty during Operation Desert Storm. At this point, the twins were not yet two, and we had just found out that I was pregnant again. This was a very uncertain and scary time in our lives, You can't predict the outcome of a war, and I didn't know if my husband would return to us or how long he would be gone. And what if I was carrying twins again? I had been on bed rest for two months with Daniel and Sarah. What if I had to be on bed rest again? Jeff and I spent many teary moments during these days clinging to each other and crying out to God for strength and comfort. Then on December 9, 1990, Jeff left Bozeman and embarked on his extended Middle Eastern vacation, as I like to refer to it. During that time, my husband was away from us. My relationship with the Lord grew as I clung to him and relied totally on his grace and mercy to get through each day. Living for Christ took on a whole new meaning in this season of my life. But Jesus was constantly faithful and merciful to me and my family, ever proving himself to be our comforter, father, and sustainer. And then the Lord blessed us by bringing Jeff home on May 31st, 1991. And on June 21st, the first day of summer, our son Taylor was born. Jeff and I spent our 10th wedding anniversary in the hospital with me in labor. It was very romantic. <laughs> and I know we have a couple of um, students that have babies, and, and Danny and Kate that have babies on the way right now. Um, while I was in the midst of very hard labor, I, I looked at Jeff and I said, I can't remember, is it? Or... And he laughed at me. Don't do that. Don't laugh. That was not a good thing. Yeah. But Taylor did make it to this world, and Jeff and I are still married, so it's all good. Chapter 7, Seasons of Sorrow. My mom was a wonderful, godly woman and a consummate mother. Honestly, I don't know of anyone who didn't love my mom. 
She was kind and hospitable to everyone. She was a very godly woman and had a, a, an incredible servant's heart and was a fabulous cook. My parents attended a church in Whitehall by, by this time, and she spent a lot of time happily serving there. My mom was always a very hard worker and efficient with her time. Honestly, she had more done by 9 o'clock in the morning than I would get done in a whole day. She was also very active and healthy, or so we thought. Um, on May 10th, 1995, my mom woke up not feeling well. She was rarely sick, and we thought she just had the flu. However, by the end of the day, she was in the hospital, and we learned that she had cancer. And my mom died that night at five minutes to midnight. Our whole family was just stunned in it and in utter disbelief. How could mom die? She was the glue that held the family together, and she was so vibrant and full of life. My dad had emphysema at this point and was on oxygen, and so we expected him to be the one to have the health issues, not my mom. My mom was always about family, but right then it hit me that when we die, it's something that each of us has to do alone. I couldn't go with my mom to the gates of heaven and say, Bye, Mom, I'll see you soon. You know, I, I, I just I couldn't do that. She had to do this by herself. The process of her leaving this life and entering into glory involved her and her Savior. It didn't involve my dad or my siblings or me. This may seem like an obvious concept, but I'd never thought about it or considered it before. Unless the Lord tarries, each of us is going to experience death. Are you going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I know my mom did, and that brings me so much joy and comfort. After my mom passed away, my dad's health continued to decline, so we moved him to Bozeman where my brother Mike and I live. While mom was alive, my dad didn't really need a savior. She took care of everything for him. But after she was gone, the Holy Spirit worked in his heart, and he really saw his great need for a savior. He came to Christ, and the transformation was amazing. He had great difficulty in breathing due to his lung disease, um, and he, fre he was frequently irritable and impatient, which is understandable as he had to gasp for every breath. But after he came to know the Lord, he seemed much more at peace. He didn't use his tongue as a weapon anymore. He talked about issues of the heart. Wow which he had never done before. And he even apologized to me after he had been short with me one time. Uh, my mom had prayed for his salvation for years and years. And the answer to her prayers came to fruition two years after she had died. Praise be to God. So a word of advice, don't stop praying for your loved ones who don't know Christ, don't stop praying. 
God is in the business of changing hearts and lives, and you never know. You know, that person that you so long to see come to know the Lord could do so. So just keep praying. In the early hours of February 27th, 1997, I received a call that my dad was dying and I should come right away. When I arrived, the hospice nurse was there and my dad was unconscious but breathing quietly. And the nurse said, he can hear you. Go ahead and talk to him. So I took my dad's hand and I said, Dad, today's my birthday and I can't think of a better birthday gift than to know that you are home with the Lord and with Mom. Go home. Go home. And he did. He very peacefully stopped breathing and entered into glory as my mom had. What a tremendous joy and a blessing that I will see my parents again in heaven. My brother Kevin was the next oldest up from me. I adored him. He was very handsome, funny, talented, and had a, just a really great personality. People were always drawn to him. He had started drinking and partying in high school, and this lifestyle became more prominent as the years went by. By the time he was an adult, alcohol was his god, and he had lost everything in his life of any importance. His wife, his third wife, his son, his job, his home, his health, everything. He was living alone in a little little rented apartment, and on December 13th, 2003, his alcohol-ravaged body couldn't fight off the flu, and, and he died. Kevin knew the truth, but whether he submitted to Jesus Christ before he died, I don't know. It took me a long time to come to terms with his death. I didn't have the peace and the assurance that I would see him again like I'd like I do with my parents. But in the end, I have to rest in God's sovereignty and know that he is still good, no matter where Kevin made the decision to spend eternity. Mourning and loss visited Jeff's side of the family in the fall of 2009. His great-nephew Cashton died of SIDS in late September and his 23-year-old nephew, Tyler, died of hypothermia on December 9th. Such incredible sorrow and grief, especially for the parents in the loss of their sons. But again, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God, knowing that he is in control of all of our life circumstances. My family experienced mourning and loss yet again, on October 19, 2012, when my brother Dave's son, Russell, suddenly collapsed and died while he was in Arizona on a business trip. He was a 33-year-old, 6'4 attorney, incredibly good-looking, strong, and healthy. Russell was, he certainly didn't fit the profile of someone that you thought would just drop dead, but that's what happened. Six weeks later, on November 29th, I received another phone call. David Jr., Dave's oldest son, had committed suicide. 
It was incomprehensible that our family was going through tragic loss once again. This ushered in the most painful, agonizing journey of my life as we walked alongside Dave and his family through this trial that continues to this day. To lose a child is a parent's worst nightmare. To lose two in the span of six weeks is almost unthinkable. Now, I didn't spend so much time sharing about all the heartache and death in my family to simply bum you out or for you to think, oh, poor Susan and her family. On the contrary, I shared these experiences to highlight the brevity and the fragility of life. Psalm 90.12 says, So teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Isn't it interesting that this verse says, teach us. In other words, it doesn't come naturally for us to number our days. We have to learn to consider this reality. All our days are numbered, and it wasn't a surprise to God when each of my loved ones died, but we don't know how long we have here on earth. Just because you're young is no guarantee that you'll live another 30 or 40 or 50 years. Today could be my last day. It could be your last day. We just don't know. But I do know that every day is a gift and an opportunity to serve God and others and to glorify the Lord with our lives. Chapter 8. I got the music in me. Music has been a part of my life since I first discovered I could sing when I was in grade school. I sang all through high school and college, solo, small groups, choirs. I competed in music festivals and did a a five-week European tour as a member of the Montana Youth Choir in the summer between my junior and senior years in high school. I've been involved in music ministry for all of my adult life. I've just loved to sing. In the mid-1990s, I felt that I was being led to go to Nashville to go have a go at a music career there. The doors seemed to be opening in, in that direction. But as time went by, I noticed that my voice was sounding raspy and it was getting harder and harder to sing with any breath support. So I saw an ENT doctor, and he told me that I had nodules on my vocal cords. I was not to sing anymore, no shouting, whispering, or clearing my throat. Talk as little as possible with three small children. (laughs) How's that going to work? (laughs) This was quite a wake-up call for me. I had never had any problems with my vocal cords before. Well, I didn't sing for nine months. But during that time, I did a lot of praying and thinking about this situation that I found myself in. I came to the realization that my plans for Nashville were all about me and my glory. Even though I wanted to get involved in the Christian music scene, I was still the star of the show. God graciously, lovingly, and firmly disciplined me for my self-righteous pride and arrogance, and I surrendered my voice to him. I would not sing for my glory anymore, 
but I would use my voice to serve him whenever and wherever he wanted. Not long after I submitted my musical will to the Lord, three friends and I formed a ladies' singing group called Nakai, which is loosely the feminine form of the, the Greek word meaning overcomer, which I thought it was interesting that we sang that song um, about overcoming. We did concerts, went on tour, sang in churches all over Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. It was so much fun. And we were even able to go to Nashville and record a CD. So the Lord did allow me to go to Nashville on his terms. But the morning we flew to Tennessee, I woke up with a terrible, deep chest cold that left me with a very sore throat, an awful voice, and a bad cough. I guess he wanted to keep me humble (laughs) and for me to recognize that I could not do this in my own strength and effort. As it was, the Lord gave me just enough voice to finish recording each song. Our group sang together until 2004 when one of the girls in our group and her family had to move to Arizona. It was a very sad time for all of us. We had concerts booked out for months. And still, we were just having the time of our lives. But it was obviously in God's plan for this season to come to an end, as we didn't feel that we were supposed to continue with just three of us or add another girl to take Bonnie's place. We still continue to be very close friends, however, and, and we sing whenever we get the chance. So that's, that's a real blessing for us. Chapter 9, Montana Bible College. After Nikai disbanded, I found myself pondering God's will for the next chapter in my life. I still had a very strong desire to minister through music and concerts and traveling, so I asked the Lord to just take this desire away if it's not what he had for me anymore. And he did take that desire away and replaced it with a contentment to minister locally. And he blessed me with a job here at NBC. It just dropped into my life. That was 14 years ago, and I continue to feel incredibly blessed to serve God in this ministry and to be a part of what he is doing in and and through this school and all of you students. Chapter 10, Better Than I Deserve. I wish I could tell you that the uh, the exact date that I was saved And that there was a radical transformation as I lived my life for the Lord. But that really isn't how my story has gone. My spiritual growth has involved a slow progression through the years. However, I can tell you without a doubt that I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? That Jesus paid the penalty for my sins and stood in my place as he bore the wrath of God. I deserved hell, but God in his mercy has adopted me into his family, and now I am a child of God. I no longer ask Jesus to come into my heart and save me me because my salvation through Christ is secure. It's a done deal. 
While I'm still a work in progress, I understand God's unconditional love in that I don't have to work to gain favor with him for my salvation. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So here I am. Blessed to be married to my best friend for almost 38 years and serving God together. Our children are all married now, and they and their spouses are walking with the Lord. We have a delightful 10-year-old step-granddaughter and another granddaughter that is due this July. I get to hang out with college kids every day. (laughs) And we live in this beautiful place called Bozeman. The Lord has blessed me so abundantly, and I am overwhelmingly grateful that his love and his mercy never come to an end. That he would, by his grace, choose to save a wretch like me. So how am I? Better than I deserve. Thank you.